Welcome back, everyone, to Life and Lit. This is episode 80, and we are on to book two for November. And this is a super timely read because we are going to be covering All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, which has just been released on Netflix as an adaptation. So we're going to do a little compare and contrast with the book and the first episode of the show. So before we dive in, I'm Sydney. And I'm Paige. And this is Life and Lit. Yes, we love a comparison. We did, I think, a whole month dedicated to adaptations last summer, and I had a ton of fun with it. So I've been really excited about this adaptation. A little hesitant because I love this book, and I feel like this would be a hard one to adapt well. So Mm -hmm. I've been a little weary, but like Netflix, has been pretty consistent with good adaptations so it's like okay like we'll give it a chance so I knew we would have to put this one on the list for November yes and I loved it because I have had this book on my shelf for years I actually this is so funny I was scrolling back through like Instagram memories or something and it popped up I think from 2020 or 2021 where Mm -hmm. I posted a picture reading in the bathtub and this was the book and I got like halfway (laughs) through it and never finished it just because I got sidetracked with something else it's not that I didn't like it it was just like I didn't have time to finish it because it is very dense um but it's just been chilling on my shelf with the bookmark in it ever since then um so when we decided to do it for the podcast I was like oh I finally get to like sit down and prioritize this and reread it so yeah I think I read it the same year as you I don't know. I don't think I recommended it, but I think I read it before you and like back yeah. when you were reading it. But I was a little hesitant to recommend it for the pod because I thought you didn't like it. And that's why you didn't finish it because it is very dense. It's not like our typical historical fiction, mm-hmm. Kate Quinn, love story, you know, like it's not that kind of quick read. But I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah, I really liked it. It's just it's a slow burn. And so you have to be prepared for that, I think, and like Mm -hmm. invested in that. But I really liked it. It, I don't, I just love reading historical novels and like World War II books because it just puts things in such a perspective for me. And Mm -hmm. I love to think about that time period and like how humanity survived. I mean, we read about some things in here that I'm like, how did we even survive anything how did anyone survive this and go yeah on? so I just love to think it like that um, so I really liked it it's definitely if you're a history buff or history nerd you would really like this I think because it is yeah. quite dense and it's I mean it's not I don't know it's not like the diamond eye where it's based on a real person but it's just yeah it really dives into the like complexities of war in a really Mm -hmm. interesting way I think so yeah I liked it yeah and it won several awards uh when it finally was published I just found this out literally five minutes ago um whenever 
we were doing a little pre-record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it took him 10 years to write this book. 10 years. Which is just mind-boggling to me. I and that's why it, it is so dense. And so, like, you can, you just, like, get that sense of dedication from the writing. It's beautifully written. Yes, it's another one. I feel like it ties in very well with Horse because I feel like they both are beautifully written and really, like, good examples of prose. Like, it's not just a mm-hmm. book and it's not just a f- telling a story. It's, like, really diving into beautiful composition. So, yeah. which kind of made it hard to read, too, after having, like, two dense books back-to-back. But yeah, no, I, really, I was like, these are our grown up books over here. No more XX. <laughs> yes, but I really liked it. And once you get down to the like crucial conflict, I was captivated. And this is another one. Yes. So for any of my audiobook listeners out there, maybe they've already always done this and I just didn't know about it. But Spotify has audiobooks. I knew they had them, but they started including like a certain amount of hours for free if you have Spotify premium, which I do. And this was on Spotify premium. And I actually listened probably from the almost halfway on. I listened to it because I did a lot of driving this weekend and honestly probably wouldn't have got it done without that. But it was so, it was really great to listen to too. So that was interesting. So check it out if you want to try audiobooks or you don't want to pay for them on audible or whatever platform if you have spotify premium you might have some already included and there's a lot of popular ones on there so check that out that's exciting yeah Yeah. check that out so those are (laughs) i said those words (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i know what you meant those are our those are our Initial thoughts on... I said additional. (laughs) (laughs) We're struggling. It's a Monday. We are struggling. Yeah, I've been tired all day, and it's going to be a long week. So, kicking it off really well here. But those are our initial thoughts on this book. Uh, Obviously, we think very highly of it. We highly recommend it. If you want to press pause and go pick up a copy from your local bookstore, your library, and then um, come back and listen to our thoughts. Or if you just don't feel like reading it or tough it out, if it's like 500 plus pages, um, continue listening because we're going to do a quick summary and then we're going to dive in. So this is All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr. Marie-Laure LeBlanc lives with her father in Paris near the Museum of Natural History where he works. When she was 12, the Nazis occupy Paris and father and daughter flee to the walled citadel of Saint-Malo, where Marie-Laure's reclusive great-uncle lives in a tall house by the sea. With them, they carry what might be the museum's most valuable and dangerous jewel. In a mining town in Germany, Werner Finnig, an orphan, grows up with his younger sister, enchanted by a crude radio they find that brings them news and stories from places they have never seen or imagined. Werner becomes an expert at building and fixing these crucial new instruments and is enlisted to use his talent to track down the resistance. Marie, Laura, and Werner, from warring countries, both have lost many of the people they love, come together and stand below as door illuminates the ways against all odds people try to be good to one another. Very good. Yes. 
Oh, it's so good. And also, I love just like a little fun fact about how this book came to be. Uh, It was inspired by a train ride that the author was on. And I guess he kept like losing um, phone connection because this Mm -hmm. is back in like 2004, 2005, since it came back. It came out like almost 10 years ago and it took 10 years to write. Anyway. Um, I guess, like, the person on the other end of the call was, like, super frustrated uh, about, like, that kind of loose connection. And so he was like, well, they just didn't appreciate, like, how cool it is that we are able to communicate over long distances like that. And so he decided to write a novel about kind of, like, how that communication came to be and how it's kind of like a miracle that we can do that. So that's how this book was born. I love it. And that's what I mean when I say that I love how these books put things into perspective because, you know, it's so easy for us in 2023 to get frustrated when we don't have internet or we don't have cell phones or whatever. And I just think about like, it wasn't that, that long ago that that none of this existed. None of this existed. And people had to just like the world was completely different. And it's so fascinating to me. So I loved it. I yeah. totally get it. That's how my mind my mind works too. So I'm and here we are, you know, recording a podcast about it, and we are half a country apart. Talking yeah, about it. exactly. So just tying it all together there. So cool. I love it. Well, that is the summary from the back of the book. So, like Paige said, if you want to press pause and go read this, listen to it, watch it, however go do that and then come back but we will begin our deep dive into this novel yes so this is the definition of a non-linear plot line and we just naturally talk non-linearly so this could be an absolute mess but we are going to try and stay on track as best we can and um we're going to start off with Marie Laura LeBlanc. She is a girl who lives in Paris with her father, Daniel, and he is a locksmith at the Museum of Natural History, which is so cool. Right. Um, so he gets to take her to work. They have a really great relationship. Um, her mother has since passed, so it's just the two of them together in Paris. And she went blind at a very young age Uh, I think she was like five or six yeah so since then her father has helped her adapt to her blindness by creating like this handmade model of Paris um and then showing her it kind of I kind of pictured it on like filling like a room tiny like little I don't know diorama of and like I just thought of this now as I was thinking because like I pictured it too in my mind but this and this is gonna sound so juvenile but like I don't know if your brother or cousin or anyone ever had one of those like Thomas the Train table sets yes literally yes like coffee table size or bigger yes like that's what I'm picturing but just little houses and it's like he built it all exactly as the city is and like yeah, to help her navigate. Build. Yes, and so he'll use the model to, like, help her navigate 
in practice and then he'll go out with her like eventually he starts taking her out in the city and like practicing but even down to like one thing she learns to do is like counting the storm drains down the, the street yeah. and she'll know when she's at the end of that street and so he like builds these storm drains into the model it's just so yeah it was so intricate and also the sweetest thing they had just, just such a relationship. it was wonderful i loved it and so i felt it was kind of like that moment in the disney movie when you're like oh like Mm -hmm. something's gonna happen here you know (laughs) like one of the parents is already dead so what's gonna happen with this happy cute little relationship here but um he takes her to work with him and he tells her stories about all of the exhibits you know he describes all the exhibits to her and um there's like a gem display there or exhibit and so he tells her, you know, he shows her how to identify all the different gems by feeling them. But he also tells her about a diamond, a very famous diamond there known as the Sea of Flames that is hidden deep within the museum. And there's like this legend surrounding it that is said to like anybody who touches it mm-hmm. um, will have like somebody close to them will... I don't know, have like a great misfortune. But yeah. whoever like owns it or possesses it will have immortality. Yes. So you get over immortality at like the risk of putting those around you at risk of like a great misfortune. Yeah. But the only way to end the curse is to return the stone to the ocean, its rightful owner. Which kind of gave me like Titanic vibes. I was going to say that same thing. And I I was thinking about this on the drive home. I love how this idea has become, like, just a collective part of our society. Like, there's the heart of the ocean that's titanic, that's iconic. There's the Hope Diamond that's real and, like, supposed to be cursed and all of this. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. how did this become a thing (laughs) where, like, a cursed jewel, which titanic, I guess it wasn't cursed, heart of the ocean wasn't cursed but like it was just the mystique of it i think yes. that's so interesting um much if you want to see uh the hope diamond <laughs> yeah it's currently at the dc national museum of natural history so which they I have it like, out so in this they do book, they do, like, but you can't touch it so <laughs> right but in this book they have it it's like locked away within 13 different locks like it's not even on display and some yeah. people don't even know it. Like, they don't even know some of the workers or visitors. Like, is it even really here? Is it just a myth? Is it mm-hmm. – it kind of adds to the, I don't know, spookiness surrounding it. Um, yes. But, yeah. So, she's heard stories about this diamond and always kind of worried about it because she knows if it's locked away, then her dad would have had to have been a part of it because he's the locksmith and he deals with every – every exhibit and the security of everything. So she's always like, I, you know, I hope it's not here. I hope my dad never has to touch it or anything like that. And another Which is thing such I, a child, like innocent childlike thing to think. Yes. You know, and, just, Oh, I hope, I hope nothing happens to him. Yes. Cause he's like her whole world. It was so sweet. And I loved how he never, like limited her with her blindness. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't, I was reading this. I'm like, I can't even fathom 
what all this girl is doing without being able to see. But he, like, every year for her birthday, he would make her a little puzzle that she would have to solve. And, like, he's trying to teach her ways to, like, be independent and adapt to everything. And, like, like you said, teaching her different things by feel and touch. And I don't know. It was just great. I just loved it. It was so good. And he gets her books, like, spends a fortune to get books in Braille, like, around the world in 80 days and 20,000 leagues under the sea, like these huge, very expensive items, but he'll get them for her so that she can read and explore. And it was just wonderful. Yeah. But everything's going fine until the war. And when the Nazis invade France, France, fans <laughs> invade France in 1940. Then Marie Laure and her dad have to flee, and they go to Saint-Malo, which is a coastal town in France. And they go to live with um, her dad's uncle Etienne. So her, it'd be her grandfather's brother, um, and he. She's never met him before. It's him and his housekeeper. Um, never met them before, never really heard of them. But the, he, her dad thinks this is a safer place for them because Paris is going to be overtaken. Um, and Etienne is a recluse. He was in the First World, World War and suffers from like PTSD, which they didn't know it then. Um, but looking... Present day, we can kind of tell that that's what it is. Um, but he pretty much has just holed himself up in his house. But he has this big, beautiful house. And he takes Marie Laura and her dad in. So they spend some relatively happy years there. They have this horrible journey, which that was also, like, mm-hmm. terrifying. And I can't even imagine her being blind making this journey because they're fleeing Paris with everyone else. Of course, everyone is trying to get out of the city and the uh, museum had arranged for safe passage for them. And when they get there, it's bombed out. So he has to reroute. Um, And he has like, they know the Nazis are trying to going to try to loot everything. So The director of the museum has devised this plan for getting the Sea of Flames to safety. And he's going to send it with four different employees. And there's going to be three decoys and one real diamond. And no employee is going to know which one they have. And he's like, treat it as if it's the real thing. Don't lose it. Um, And so Daniel, her dad, has got one of these diamonds. He doesn't know if it's the real or the fake. Um, And he's tasked with keeping it safe, basically hiding it out from the Nazis. Um, Can you imagine? Well, first, it's, you know, like, priorities in war. It's like, you know what they're coming after. They're coming after, like, all the valuable, but, like, materialistic, like, objects. Yeah. Which is what gets me. Like, it's not even, like, art or or anything like that it's literally it's a diamond and they know 
I don't know, just like kind of like the materialistic side of war always is just like mind boggling to me, especially But it's the power World War Two. Yeah. of it and the value of it. And I think. But also like, yes, that that for sure. But the other thing that like boggles my mind is like you're sending these four people out with either the diamond or a copy and you're just hoping it comes back like Yeah. at the end of hopefully a war that you don't lose. Well, so I think of this all that I was thinking about this also reading this book and we have seen it in a lot of other novels because this was such a real thing of people like burying their goods like jewelry or paintings or whatever, like anything that was valuable, they would like buried in their yard or women sewing diamonds and jewelry into the like lining of their coats which is just wild to me to think about how much of that stuff was lost in the war because of looting and all of that. But then I'm also like, if I bought a vintage coat and I found jewelry sewn into it, that would make my entire life. Like how cool would that be? I don't know. It just makes me think I'm never going to look at a vintage coat again <laughs> the same way. Or like, it just makes me think about all of the vintage things I yes. don't know. You know, it just puts well, we weird just, things in perspective like that. Yeah, we just, we talked about this in Horse, like, with, yes. the, with the artwork. But it's like, yeah, you, everything has a story. Yeah. And you, it's just so interesting to me. Yeah. I don't know. We could adds, go down that rabbit hole, but. <laughs> truly. But then it adds the layer, too, of mystery of, like, okay, if he has the real thing, is he going to have the curse now? And, like. Right. When yeah. the first place that they're supposed to go is bombed out and deserted, is that because the diamond's curse or whatever? So it adds a layer of mystery to it because you don't know if it's real or fake. But when they make it to San Malo, they have some relatively calm years. Um, her dad, again, starts to make like a model of the city for Marie Lore so that she can learn. Um, she finally does meet Etienne and they kind of bond, um, like reading books together and he really encourages her imagination and they're doing, I they're don't know. cute. Yeah. It's she so had good little, she had good like adult figures in her life. Yes. Whenever the war starts to reach, uh, you know, outside the capital cities, her father, Daniel, is arrested uh, on, like, suspicion of conspiracy, I think. Um, yes, so because, he, and this is heartbreaking, he was take, he was out, like, walking the towns or whatever, taking measurements, working on her model, and some little narc perfume shop <laughs> owner sees him and is like, that's suspicious. I bet it's the resistance. And turns him in. And of course, they the don't Nazi even ask. Narc. Yeah, yeah, they don't ask questions <laughs> or anything. It's just like, oh, you did right. something weird. Okay, you're done. Right, and... we're gonna make an example of you. Yes, and so he is arrested and taken away and imprisoned. And that was so sad because he tells her like, oh, I'll be, you know, it's, I'm only gonna go away for a, a little bit. I'll be back, and mm -hmm. then, you know never returns so now it's marie lore etienne her great uncle and the mate his maid madame monic oh 
It makes me so sad. And I it just like keeps hitting me and it kind of, you know, I watched the first episode of the show today, but which we'll get to, but it's just like, yeah, you, that was so common back then was where people would be like, oh, I'm going to go run to the store or I'm going to mm-hmm. do this. And whether they were part of the resistance or whatever you want to call it, it, if they did anything suspicious or arrested on the way and you just didn't hear from them again, and you don't know what happened to them. And like, I don't know how you move on from that because yeah. there are so many people that their stories were never told and their fates were never, you know, like just like told. You never people. get the like closure. I don't that like is you just never... yeah that is just mind boggling to me. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. So while she is living with Etienne and Madame Monique. She, the madame, starts to participate in the French resistance, like her and some other local women. And this is very risky, of course. And Etienne, at first, is very against this. He doesn't want to draw any suspicion. Like, he already knows what happened to Daniel. He doesn't think it's worth worth the risk. But one thing that I thought was so good, and I should have pulled it up, the exact quote up, but... Madame Manek is kind of like arguing with him about it and she's like well do you want to spend the whole like basically do you want to spend your whole life doing nothing or do you want to really live and do something worthwhile like and Mm -hmm. saying like this is worthwhile to participate in and to help and so but sadly it's not until after she falls sick and passes away that Etienne decides he's going to take her advice and he is going to like join the fight. And so he enlists Marie Laura's help. They kind of come to this agreement together. And the plan is that Marie Laura is going to go to the bakery every day, like normal. And she's going to ask for a specific, like one normal loaf and the baker is going to give it to her. And then she's going to take it home. And sometimes there will be hidden messages baked into the bread, like in a scroll. Mm-hmm. And Etienne is going to use his radio transmitter that he has secretly hidden up in the attic because that's all contraband at this point. And he's going to broadcast out hidden messages to other resistance listeners. Through Morse um, code. Yes, through Morse code. And so this also just the ingenuity of the human race blows my mind. That someone's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a tiny piece of paper and bake it into this bread and pass a message that way. I just, it's wild, but I love it. Yeah, me Uh, too. And so they, they do that for a little bit. And then they start, he'll start reading out like other messages which it's never explicitly said, like, if it is code or not, but it, it'll, like, he goes from just doing the Morse code to, he'll say, like, once your so-and-so is looking for his daughter in this city, or Mrs. So-and-so wants you, wants to send word of the birth of her son to her family and blah, blah, blah. And so, like, these other phrases, which could just be actual town townspeople trying to get word out to their families or it could be code um Mm -hmm. and then he'll play little snippets of music at the end of each broadcast so 
as time goes on, he starts getting a little bit bolder and a little bit riskier because this is risky in general. But I don't know. It's just something he feels called to do. So I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah, me too. The bravery. Yes. I mean, I guess, the you know, you don't really know what you're made of until, you know, desperate times. But yeah, very impressive. Yes. And so they're going along like this. Everything's going fine until one day Marie-Laure is going home. She's walking home from the bakery. And normally she would just go straight home because Etienne has told her, like, if you have a loaf with a message in it, come straight home. But she's taken to going out by the sea and there's like a little park area that she can slip into and like go down and go on the tide pools and the rocks and collect shells because she loves collecting shells. And when she's down there, she realizes that she's followed by a Nazi sergeant who is asking her questions about her dad uh, because he is a Nazi gemologist who is trying to track down the sea of flames because like we said, the Nazis are obsessed with trying to get valuables from people and Mm -hmm. when they had taken over Paris they had gone to the museum obviously tried to get whatever they could and they couldn't find the real sea of flames because there was one the one that was left there this guy was able to determine was a fake and so he finally like gets the whole story out of the museum director and knows that there are decoys in the real ones scattered about and He thinks that her dad is the one that has one. And so he's trying to question Marie-Laure to see if her dad left anything. And, you know, if she would have any clues about where this model, this sea of flames might be. Um, So that rattles her. I hated this part. Like, Mm -hmm. first of all, this guy's just a horrible person. (laughs) But I also yeah. hated this part. Like, just please leave this girl alone. Like, I just wanted her to be okay, which it's a World War II novel. Chances are not good for anyone right. ever. So. But, like, new author, you kind of, like, if you've read, like, the same, like, okay, Kate Quinn. She's, like, our two example for historical fiction. But, like, you start to know that, like, something bad is going to happen. But then you're going to get, like, a relatively happy ending from her like after that big bad thing with this new author you don't know it could just be doom and gloom until the very end yeah exactly um so that made me really nervous and it makes etienne and marie lord nervous as well and so etienne her uncle um ends up taking over going to get the bread and stuff, which is a huge step for him because, like we said, he's a recluse. He doesn't really get out of town very much. Um, mm-hmm. But he goes out, like, when she – she's gone for way longer because this guy has been questioning her. And so he – that's what propels him to go outside for the first time in, like, 10 years to go try to find her and track her down. And so – when she's back at the house one day, this whole interaction has got her thinking and she's messing with the model on her dad made of San Malo. And like we said earlier, he always gave her puzzles and things to work through on her birthday. And she discovers that the model house on the model of Etienne's house where they live will remove. And it's actually a puzzle box. And when she up she finds this rock inside which she can't see but you 
are led to believe and know that it is the sea of flames or the decoy. So her dad has hidden it, it within the model house there on the model and he's left it because he didn't take it with him. Which I thought was genius, but also so risky. I don't know. It, like, I mean, anywhere you put it, it's going to be risky, right? I know, but it's just, I don't know. I was like, I like that he left it because then he, it would be safer. But then I was also like, whoa. I don't know. I guess he knew it would be found if it was ever on him. Yeah. But I just. It's also wild. You're just like, I'm just going to leave it and maybe we'll never see it again. Kind of like you said. I don't know. The trust. Um, yeah. You just got to do your best at that point. Yes. But um, so this kind of sets everything off. And now it's just been Etienne and Marie-Laure in the house. But Etienne is arrested and sent to prison on false charges of terrorism because they're just they're being targeted now like anyone anything remotely suspicious they don't even really need a reason to arrest you they can just take you for any mm -hmm. assumed infraction so now marie Laura is alone in san malo which is terrifying yeah it. she's not very old either no she's like 16 yeah um so now we can switch gears to Werner because these two stories converge in Semelo. Um, yeah. But we'll do some backstory on Werner. Yes. Werner is an orphan in Nazi Germany. He's in this coal mining town of Zoldverein. Um, he's incredibly smart. He is one of those like naturally gifted kids with like essentially like technology and radios like he is in an orphanage and he was able to gather all this stuff and through reading stuff and observing like how radios work he's able to build one of his own like he gets like a broken one and is able to fix it so he and his sister his younger sister Yetta like listen to it every night and they hear music programs and science like different languages all these programs tr transmitted all across Europe, which, one, like, as a little kid, being able to do that, extremely impressive. But just being able to have that, like, little thing for the two of you um, growing up in an orphanage, like, their little relationship was so sweet as well. But as Werner gets older and his skills start to improve, he actually earns a place at the National Political Institute of Education. And which is like this big national boarding school um, that not only teaches, you know, like technology and those types of skills, but also it has been starting to teach Nazi values, which his sister Yada hates. Like she has been using the radio to listen to French um, broadcasts about Germany, like invading other countries and committing war crimes. And she's extremely upset when um, Werner accepts his place at the institute mm -hmm. he's doing it really to like get them a better life yes you know he's like we you know obviously they've been you know getting the short end of the stick in life so far growing up in this orphanage growing up very poor 
And he's not doing this because of the Nazi values, but because he's like, if I do this and I do it well, I can make a better life for me and my sister. Yes, because the way this mining town is, it's basically like if you're a boy, when you turn 16, you go to work in the mines and that's really your only option and your hope. And their father died in the mines and they, you know, Werner just wants no part of it. And so it's really a rock and a hard place because it's like, you know, Yetta sees this as an act of betrayal and him like selling out. But he sees it as a rock and a hard place choice where it's either I stay here in this town and I go into the mines and I go down there and die like our dad or I take this avenue out and I try to get both of us out. So it was rough. He had a rough time there at the school. Um, He excelled at everything. Like he's very gifted um, and he had that drive and termination like there was one time where they had to climb to the very top of this like basically like a diving board and jump into a flag being held up by the other kids and so many kids were like like one guy fainted off the top of the diving board and one guy got so scared he climbed back down and it was like this final big test and Werner just goes up there and does his salute and jumps right off without blinking an eye. So he starts to gain notice for people like that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he excels at – he's very gifted in math and science. And like we said, working with his hands, he's very, like, analytical. But he makes friends with another kid who is not as successful in – the school um he's a very kind hearted kid and like really sweet but he's he's not tough he doesn't have the tough kid attitude that is needed and so this place is pretty i'm losing the word like ruthless yeah our trying to make Nazi soldiers out of them. And so they're turning them on each other and like any sign of weakness and you're out. Um, Cutthroat. Yes, cutthroat. That's a good word. Werner tries to, like he becomes friends with this guy, tries to help him, but he can't really, or he can't without alienating himself because this other kid, Frederick, is seen as a weak link. And the higher-ups basically have all the other kids turn on him. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll have the each boy pick out who's the weakest link in their group. And then they'll take that kid and, like, make him do a race. And if they don't make it there before anyone else, then all the other kids beat them up. And just mm-hmm. really horrible stuff. Terrible. Yes. Which eventually gets so bad that this other boy, Frederick, is beaten very severely and has to leave the school and get sent home back to Berlin because he's basically incapacitated like Mm -hmm. his brain damage yes brain damage no longer able to feed himself care for himself it's just awful like monstrous that one that you're like 
conditioning children to treat other people this way, but also that you as an adult are okay with this and are like, well, like only the strong survive. And this is like what happens to the weak. Like that is just like beyond my imagination. Yeah. It just lends to the total brainwashing. And this is also a thought I had of like, it just blows my mind what other people will do to each other mm-hmm. in the name I could not yeah of war and I'm like like what are these do these people even know what they are fighting about and what they are right. like the cause they're just it just blows my mind I'm like what what is what is the point of this what is the worth of this well because this- the leader wants world domination and so you're just gonna yeah. do whatever they say it just it's unfathomable yeah it's the psychology behind it that yeah. is both fascinating yet terrifying to me yes. because like yes you're like conditioning them and getting into their psyche to you know gang up on the week but you know not all of those kids came by it naturally like it was the fear induced in them yes at that i either do this or i become that person yes that is well, being ganged up on and that's Werner's whole struggle is that he yeah is not the resistance kind because just like you said like if if i speak up they're gonna turn on me and all of this so it's totally right. It's just wild. Horrible. It is. Um, but Werner once ends up wanting to leave the school. And he's talking to um, one of the higher ups, one of the professors, and saying, like, I'm done with this. I don't want to be here anymore. And he's so he has such promise for his brain and his talents like with his hands, with the radios and engineering that the professor instead lies about his age and gets him into the military. Cause at this point he's mm-hmm. only 16 as well. Um, so now he's full blown into the Nazi military. So Werner is now a full fledged member of the Nazi army and he um, is paired with, Three other soldiers, one uh, being an engineer, and their kind of task is to travel throughout Europe, tracking enemy signals that Werner um, will find on you know the radio frequencies, and then they execute whoever is producing them. So Werner like quickly becomes like disillusioned with his position because. Initially, he was like, okay, I'm working with radios. Like, this is, you know, essentially like, okay, like, this this is the, you know, fate I've drawn. But he quickly is, like, very affected by his direct yet indirect role in, you know, the execution of these people. Um, And it all kind of comes to a head with, like, for him, whatever he um, incorrectly traces a signal um, to a young girl who was obviously not broadcasting out, but 
again, there was not like a lot of questioning going on um, once they finally tracked these signals down. So he yes. incorrectly traced it to this young girl and the other members of his group um, shot her. They had like been stopped at a town and he had seen this girl playing in a park with her mom and then he's back to tracing a signal and he traces it to this apartment building and he's like yeah i can see the wire running down the side of the building like that's it i've never been wrong so they just go in guns a blazing and Mm -hmm. they would always try to find the contraband equipment and take it and see if there's anything usable and they can't find any equipment and they finally go and they find this little girl and her mom hiding in the closet. And when they open the closet, they shoot them because they don't know what's, you know, basically mm-hmm. shoot first, ask questions later. Mm-hmm. And Burner then realizes that like the line he saw coming from the apartment wasn't actually a radio wire. And it just really affected him. And it was horrible. Like I knew, I knew this was going to happen when he was like watching this girl so intently and then they go to this yeah. apartment and I'm like, Oh no, Oh no, no. It's going to be her. Yeah. And yeah, he like, first he sees this red coat in the bedroom and he's like, Oh my gosh. And then they open the closet mm-hmm. and it's her. Which I said, like his direct yet indirect role because he's not shooting them. Yeah. Himself. But like, he is leading them directly to these people. He's telling them where to shoot, basically. Yeah, essentially. And the target. Yes. And the science of this, too, was so fascinating. Like, I think this with every World War II novel, because I just can't fathom the technology that it was back then. But the way that he would, like, just scan the radio waves for broadcast and he would find it and then he would use like trigonometry <laughs> to pinpoint yeah. where it's coming from i'm just like if you asked me i today, could never if you asked me how a radio works i don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah no that i i've never asked <laughs> and music comes out and i turn it to a different station and music comes out like i don't yes no and once you reach like a certain area in your town or in your county, that station stops working. So you yes. can tune to another one. <laughs> yes. But like. So I knew it was related to distance, but like that's pretty much all I got for you. Yeah. So it was wild to think because you yeah. really, in the Wer- the Werner section, I can't want to say Werner. It's Werner. And I know that, but I it can't. Werner. I don't have a brain. Judah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can't. I can't say anything. <laughs> Those sections, you get such, like, a deep dive because that's how his brain works. He can just, like, look at those things and know and, like, make all the radios work. But it's just wild. Um, I do not have that sort of, like, mechanical engineering at all. Not even a little bit. Absolutely Um, not. Me neither. But, like, what makes me really sad is, like, the radio was such, like, a source of joy for Werner and now they've weaponized it. Yes. for him so taking such like an innocent childlike interest and turning it into a weapon it, i don't know it's just like everything is up for grabs and war and it's i don't know again just heartbreaking um to see that how quickly you lose like that childish innocence but yes. one thing Werner does do is he still, you know, loves the radio. That's still kind of like his lifeline to the outside world. 
So wherever he goes, he's constantly tuning to that same signal that he and his sister found, um, like all those, you know, music and science programs on back at the orphanage, um, which is shortwave 1310, I think. Mm -hmm. So he's always like searching for that one. I see it as kind of like your comfort thing. It's like that book you go back to. It's that TV show you watch on repeat, Gilmore Girls. You know, it's like that is your comfort for him. Like that program was his comfort. So he is always kind of constantly checking that without much luck. Yes. Um, Until. Eventually. Go ahead. Well, until they get to San Malo, Werner and his squad, like, because they're going town by town trying to check off all of these places and find all of the resistance and so they finally make it to San Malo and when he's there he is able to find that Frenchman's radio program and he recognizes the voice and the music and it's like the same same as he remembered the recordings that he had heard before and it's because we know which we've known from some of Marie Laure's type stories is that it is Etienne broadcasting this because it was his brother who was on those recordings he had Mm -hmm. made them way back in the day and used to broadcast them and Etienne found some of the old recordings and so he when he's getting braver in some of his messaging he will like play snippets of them and so Werner recognizes his voice he knows that it is like a resistance channel, but he doesn't say that he's found it. He just hides it basically instead of ratting them out. Um, But he uses the math to track it to Etienne's home. And one day while they're in town, he goes by there just to see, because he wants to see if he can see this Frenchman who he's listened to on the radio. Um, But instead he sees Marie Lore on her way to the bakery and he just becomes kind of enamored with her right off the bat like Mm -hmm. there is a little whisper of love to this book because he just immediately is like infatuated with her when he sees her Mm -hmm. walking to the bakery you know he realizes that she's blind he kind of follows her on her journey and she's beautiful of course um and he just starts thinking about her. Like, he has a crush. Right. Yeah. I like how you said that. Like, a whisper of love. Because it's definitely not the main storyline. Or the main theme is that, like, romantic love there. Like, a lot of our favorite historical fictions are. Yes. But it's just a tease. There's just enough. But it does play a part. Like, ooh. Like, yeah. Like, where is this going to go? How does this go? Yes. So now we are converging the two storylines with both of our main characters in San Malo. And it's leading up to August 1944, which is nearing the end of the war. And the U.S. starts an attack on San Malo, which the very beginning of the book starts here. It starts with the U.S. bombing the city just brief snippets and then we flip back to all of the backstory so we've circled back to the beginning um with the bombing of san malo and 
Marie Laura is alone at this point because her dad's gone. Madame Manek has passed away. Etienne's gone. But she grabs the model house with this holding the sea of flames and is hiding in the cellar, trying to stay safe from the bombing. And Werner and his company are staying at a hotel. And they're in town that is bombed and they become trapped, like, kind of in the basement of the hotel. The hotel, like, collapses mm -hmm. on top of them. And it's Werner and two of his, I don't know, I want to say comrades, but that just sounds, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, basically, but. Um, it sounds very. Um... Russian. <laughs> Yeah, the comrade. Yeah. Yeah. Two of his um, I was trying to other think of the word. Military members <laughs> are trapped. Squadron. Yes. Two of the other members of his squadron. Yes. There we go. <laughs> um they're trapped underneath in Communists. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Comrades are very communist. Um yes. So All right, we're losing a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> they're trapped in the bottom of this hotel, you know, losing oxygen, going to starve to death, all of this. They're buried underneath all of this rubble. So it's kind of the, like, uh, how are they going to get out? Um, and when Marie Lore comes up from the cellar and she's trying to, like, take stock of everything, she is in the house and her dad and her uncle had – because the whole time they had done little things to help her. Obviously, she's blind. And so they would, like, in her old house in Paris, her dad had, like, strung a wire from, like, the living room to the bathroom to her bedroom so that she could follow along and know where she's going. And in this house in Saint-Malo, they have installed trip wires so that when someone opens the gate, it rings bells inside the house. Mm. And so she is alone in the house after the bombing and she hears the tripwire bells go off and she doesn't know who it is, but she knows that it can't be good. And so she takes the sea of flames and hides in the attic because her, that's where the broadcasting equipment was. Her uncle Tian had this big wardrobe that had, he had made a false back that would lead to the door to the attic that they could climb up. It was very ingenious, but this is how it had to be back then. Um, so she hides in the attic and basically waits to see who this person is. And as the reader, we know that it is the Nazi sergeant who is on the hunt for the sea of flames because this whole time since his original time that he questioned Marie Laura, he's still been searching for the sea of flames and he's been knocking them out one by one. And he knows that the real one is, was with her dad and it has to be in this house somewhere. So he has come to the house to try and find it. And he is like riddled with cancer. So he's, his health is declining. He's kind of going crazy Mm -hmm. on the search for this diamond and also being eaten up with cancer. Um, and so he's tearing the house apart. And this is like multi-day search of her hiding in the attic with only two cans of food, no water, 
afraid to make a sound while he's down ransacking the house trying to find this. And while she's up in the attic, she decides to try to call for help using the transmitter because she's like, this is my last hope. Like, I don't know if this guy's still here. If he finds me, he's going to try to kill me. And so she turns on the broadcast and starts saying, like, Papa, if you're out there, I need help. Etienne, if you're out there, I need help. Anyone listening, I need help. This man's going to kill me. And to help pass the time, she starts reading from her novel in Braille that she has, that she and Etienne were reading together. It's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And so she has gotten it. She brought it in the attic with her. And this is, like, one way that she's trying to pass the time as she's hiding Mm -hmm. up here. And... So meanwhile, Werner down in the basement, Rubble, is trying to survive. One of his team members ends up dying. Volkheimer, his superior, and he are the only ones left. And they're trying to figure out what to do and how to get out of this rubble. And Werner finds an old radio And he starts tinkering with it and he's trying to get it working to see if he can like maybe call for help. And while he's tinkering with it, he gets it working using the battery of one of their flashlights and he's able to tune, he tunes in and he hears Marie Lore transmitting and like asking for help and reading her novel. And so he gets comfort from this and Mm -hmm. it's basically like, I, I didn't know how this was going to go. I thought they were going to die. I thought he was going to, like, die listening to her talk. I know. You um, really don't know. Like, you have no idea where the novel is going to go. Like, it could be yeah. a very, very sad ending. Or I thought she was going to die. I thought she was going to, like, starve to death in the attic. I had no idea. I thought she was going to die and he was going to live somehow. I didn't know. It was so hope. Like I didn't know how, but. <laughs> I know. I didn't know either because it was so hopeless. With him mm-hmm. being buried under the, they're like, we can throw a grenade, but then it's going to blow up on us too, and all of this. Um, but he takes comfort listening to her talk. He hands it to his superior. They listen, and this kind of like bolsters their spirit and renews them. And they decide that they're going to try one last thing to get out of here. Because now Werner's like, this is that same girl that I saw. Like, she's in the city. She needs help. There's still people out there. And Mm -hmm. so they throw a grenade, they're able to blow a hole in the rubble and climb out. And um, because it's either like we try this or we just die down here. So they're able to successfully do that and get out. Um, And as they go out in back into the world, Werner goes to Etienne's house because he's like, I need to check on this girl. And this was... I hate to use any positive words about a Nazi, but this was, like, an interesting moment because Mm -hmm. the sergeant, like, they get out and it's expected that they're just going to, like, go to the next mission or they're going to go find other Nazis and regroup. But he basically looks at Werner and he's like, go and find her. Like, I know this is what you want to do. I know Mm -hmm. that you're... Like, I think he knows the war is lost. Yeah, they're all kind like, of like the last up. shred of humanity he has. He's like, yeah, go they're kind of like we're yeah. all going for broke here. 
just do what you gotta do. So Werner goes to the house to try to help Marie Lore, and there's this standoff with him and the other Nazi sergeant, von Rumpel, which was also very tense as I was listening to it. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I yeah, I can't imagine listening to that. Oh, it was it was oh, wild. So anticipation. Yeah. Marie Laura's in the attic. She knows that someone else has come in the house because she hears the bells dinging. And she can hear them down there talking. And then she hears a gunshot. And you don't know if it's Werner that's been shot or the other guy until Werner comes up. He, he knows that wherever the radio is, it has to be really high up. So he goes up and finds the false back on the wardrobe and is like knocking on the attic door and says, I'm, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm here to help you. And she trusts him and um, they meet each other and he helps her, um, basically helps her get out of San Malo because they Mm -hmm. have allowed a ceasefire to let some of the citizens that are still there flee. And so he helps her and they have these like really sweet interactions i don't know you know you know i don't want to be positive about it but it was like like i said the whisper of love because he's thinking like if this was another time you know i'd ask her i'd take her to this cafe first lunch or right i want to follow up with her or whatever but he helps her escape but before they go she takes him by the little park down by the sea and places the house the model house in the tide pool and she's like is it in the water and he said yes and she's like it has to be in the water it has to go and he's like yeah it's in the water it's it'll go out to sea and she's like okay fine and then they leave and they flee so she is before she leaves she gives the key to the gate to this park and then she flees to safety and Werner is captured and sent, captured by the U.S. and sent to, like, a prisoner of war camp where he's really ill. Which I, mm-hmm. This was also really interesting. I don't know. Just the whole war in general is so fascinating to me. Because I really, I don't know. They The war, the people were really kind to him in this prisoner of war camp, like, trying to yeah. help him. And I guess I just expected to be like, ah, whatever, he's going to die, leave him alone. Um, yeah but they were trying to help him and like nurse him back to health but one night while he's like in a feverish state he goes to leave the hospital and as he's walking out he steps on a german landmine and is blown up which is not how i wanted his story to end i mean i don't know what i wanted but it wasn't this well i mean in a perfect world you know he you know the war would be over he and Marie Laura would reunite yeah and maybe explore a relationship there but I I did not see this coming it was heartbreaking and like you said like you don't want to romanticize a Nazi right but you also don't want to like lump every Nazi into the same category because, which I feel terrible saying, like just saying that, but they're the ones who truly believed it. They're the ones who were enforcing it. They're the ones who followed blindly. And then they're the ones who 
followed out of fear. Like there's there's a spectrum. It's all awful. I don't agree with it. Let me put that out there. Yeah. But and I think that is one of the criticisms that this book um based was like trying to like sympathize. Not not yeah, not even like sympathize, but like make you feel something for somebody who, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um fought for the Nazis. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, you were like, I was kind of like torn between that. You're like, oh, like, I would love this love story to happen, but, yeah. you know, he did terrible things and he helped other people do terrible things. So it was, I was definitely conflicted there, but, yes, um, I agree. I thought and it it's... was like doubly ironic that one that he died this way, but also that it was a German landmine that mm-hmm. killed him. And I also, I agree, but then I also think it's the power of the writing that yes, you yes. do feel like it does because make you, you can't think. just lump him into he's a bad guy. Yeah. It makes you see him as a human. And I also think it's to the point too, like, there is right and wrong Obviously, yeah. there is good and bad. Yeah. But it's also to the point where if you are the kind of person that it, – it's almost like it makes you the bad guy too. If you don't – if you have no ounce of humanity left in you that you can't mm-hmm. understand someone else. Like I don't want to even say empathize. But kind of what you're saying of like not lumping them all together. Then yes. you – if you, you know, do lump them all together and you just hate everyone blindly – you're doing the same thing in a sense. Right. And so right. it's like you don't want to lose that shred of humanity that makes you different, that makes you see the person for who they are independent, independently. Yeah. Um, I did, like, I did not like this and I didn't see it coming. But then I was also like, well, if it's someone, I'm glad it's the Nazi and not Marie Lord. And not Marie Lord. someone's going to yes. die. If yeah. I had to choose, I would want yeah. Marie Laura to live. Yes. Yes. And she does. And she gets a bit of a happy ending because she, Etienne, her uncle, is freed from the prison by the Americans and he reunites with her, which I also didn't expect. I thought he would be dead. I like. Mm-hmm. I thought she would live, but everyone would be dead. But he, they are able to reunite and they go back and live in Paris. Um, the museum had been paying for her father's apartment this whole time. And so they're able to go live, like, back in the same apartment. And she goes on and leaves, leads, like, a successful life. She starts – she goes to study. Um, she becomes a scientist focusing on snails, which is, like, a whole subplot thing that she's interested in. And we kind of circle back 30 years later with Volkheimer, who was the – sergeant in charge of Werner and his little group he is given some of Werner's belongings which this was also interesting too and I guess I've just never put it together but basically like an like an American Legion type group or a veterans group for Germany Mm -hmm. had gotten these items as like unclaimed during the war and was able to track them down and sent them to Volkheimer because they're like, we think this might have belonged to one of your people. Like, do you know who it was? And I guess I just, this is such an American thing. Like, we have the VA and all types of veterans organizations. 
and we really like hold our veterans in a very positive light or we try to and like a lot of service-minded organizations focusing on veterans because I never thought of it in another country like Nazi specifically I never thought about yeah there being a similar organization so that was interesting not that there yeah shouldn't be you know whatever well I mean that the part that like for me is like Volkheimer and kind of the whole like lumping all Nazis into the same category like Volkheimer was in charge of that group Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think he was necessarily a high-ranking official, but, you know, a lot of, like, the high-ranking Nazis either were brought to justice or fled, but it's, like, do you punish all of them? Yeah, no, I just had never thought... You can't, but, like, you yeah. can't, you know, because that's really, like, you know, the entire country. Right. I just had never thought about there being similar organization yeah trying to track down veterans and lost yeah. artifacts in that way so anyways volkheimer is given these items and he is able to track down yetta Werner's sister who is grown up now she's married she's a math teacher he goes to visit her and brings her these belongings it's like his bag his canvas bag um there's a letter in there and there's a little model house of um Etienne's house because uh, we realized that Werner went back after Marie Lore made it to safety he went back to the little park and got it out of the water um and Werner yeah that's why something bad happened to you but this, so this is another plot point we'll get to it but so Volkheimer it was like the last time I saw him we were in France. We had just gone out of the rebel. And I think he was in love because he went to go meet a girl. And so this piques Yetta's interest. And she takes her son, Max, to France. She has the little model of this house. And she asks someone in town, like, do you know what this house is? They lead her to the right, to the house that's still standing. And she finds some backstory on it um, and who used to live there during the war. And so she finds out that it's Marie Laure. And that she's living in Paris, working at the Museum of Natural History, just like her dad. And so Yara travels to Paris and meets up with Marie Lore. They're kind of talking, having this interaction, which was very interesting. I don't know. Yara struggled, obviously, with her brother's death. It's something that you Mm -hmm. never get over um, Mm -hmm. in the the close bond that they had was super impactful. So this was kind of like a healing type journey for herself as well. Um, but when she goes to meet Marie Lore, um, Marie Lore opens the model house like it's designed to. And when she opens it up, she finds a key, which is the key to the little seaside park. And then it ends with that's kind of all we get from their interaction. And then we flip to 2014 with Marie Lore, who is now in her late 80s, and she's walking with her grandson in the streets of Paris. So she gets a happy ending. She gets a happy ending. And this, there's one little scene, like chapter, that makes me think the stone went out to the ocean. I mean, I think it did too. I think he. But it's left. I think it's left. I think it's left a little gray 
Like, oh, I definitely think he returned it to the ocean. That Werner did. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if he and she gave him the key. I know, but then I was like, did he put it in the ocean? I you're led to believe that because there's a little chapter with it. But then I was also like, did he have it on him and it got blown to bits? I mean, oh no, I I don't know. Returned it, or is that because like if you possess it, then you're supposed to be immortal and not to make light of it. But he was not. That's true. But he did come in contact with it, so maybe that's what the curse was. But right. I was waiting for a little scene where Marie Laura had it the whole time, like the old lady at Titanic. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for that yes. to happen, where she'd kept it this entire time. Oh, um, that's how I'm going to picture the end of this. You know, I know. Like the plane. plane yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is such a broad overview. I can't even begin to describe how much detail we left out. And then we're still time. an hour, almost an hour. Yeah. But yes, it is so. I mean, the first. So good. Half, so good. And the first half of the book is really just the backstory of Marie Laura and Werner. Like, before he even gets to the school, I think it's so. Yeah. You're well. It's a masterpiece. I mean, it is. Yeah. And it flips. We did it in just their stories one at a time. Yeah, flips back and forth. The whole oh, time. yeah. Because oh, we would be here all night if we if we yes. did it by each little chapter. So this masterpiece of a book was announced that it was going to be made into a Netflix adaptation, which we kind of touched on at the beginning of the recording. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, we're both. I was really excited for this adaptation. A little. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I was questioning it a little bit because how do you take this book and, you know, do good by it? Um, so we were like, okay, we're going to watch this first episode because I think they're doing it in like a weekly release sort yeah. of format. So I'm, I think it's all out now, but we haven't had time to watch all of it. So we're like, all right, first episode, then we can give our thoughts. And this masterpiece of a book, I think they completely butchered. In yeah. the adaptation. Yeah. So after reading this, like, I didn't know about this being an adaptation until you mentioned it as a November book of like, oh, they're pr- this is coming out. Oh, really? Do this. Yeah, I live under a rock. I watch Gilmore Girls all the time. I don't watch the shows. <laughs> <laughs> I watch the same three shows on Netflix over and over, so I don't pay attention. <laughs> but after reading this book, I was like, you know what? Someone else besides Netflix should have handled this. Like, Netflix is kind of the B team. We should have let the no. A team. I feel like Netflix book. has made like some re- like good. Netflix has some good shows on there, but I don't know about maybe adaptations. Who's like the A team? HBO. Like an Oscar-winning director, like a movie, a film, oh, like an Oscar-worthy you know, film. I don't even know. I think it needed to be a mini series because there is so much detail, but. One, here's the two, I think, fatal flaws. The smaller one is, okay. it was only four episodes. Okay. I so feel at that like, point, don't even with make the book, like, yeah. That I, it has, I would say six minimum, if you're going to yeah. try and do this book justice. The number one fatal flaw was that the author was not a writer on the show. 
And it shows. You cannot. You cannot. It's absolutely, like, to me, like, you cannot do that. You have to take it from, like, that author's point of view. Because even if, say, you do need to cut some stuff, in the interest of time, you have to get the author's opinion. Otherwise, you're going to completely butcher the storyline, which is what they did. It is critical to the success of an adaptation. And we have said, like, in many adaptations that we featured, that we liked the adaptation better or at least held up. Like, there are some that Normal I know people better. Yes. Or that when they take a creative liberty, I like it. It's okay because it's still – it doesn't, like, change the central – integrity of the story right all of those like the author like you said is consulted and right off the get-go this pissed me off (laughs) because you told me i you texted me like 15 minutes in and i'm already mad i was like oh (laughs) i I just watched it literally hours ago i was able to finish it mostly because i was eating dinner while i was watching it so i had like something else i could do at the same time the accent bad mark ruffalo i'm sorry you cannot pull off a british accent i mean i like smart i like mark ruffalo and so, he had the perfect like dad like he looks yes. like such a wholesome person yeah i was like oh he looks the part i was no. excited for that i was excited could not when i saw him in this because i also love mark ruffalo and like he fit he is the dad i see it i can see it but yeah. yes the accents were horrible we talked about this which we independently both have mispronounced things, but I knew better. I just was not paying attention. But in the movie or in the show, they call the sister Jetta and it's Jetta. So that pissed me off. Yeah. <laughs> Nitpick. Nitpick. Hey, it's valid. The... I do think like the leads, Marie, Lore, and Werner were well cast. Yes. I have heard really good things about the girl playing Marie Laura and her performance and it was good. I think Burners just felt clunky. I don't think it was the actor's fault. I think it was the writing no. and the whole production of why he felt clunky from the like twenty minutes that I watched. Um well it's the end. It starts at the end, but they fuck it all up. They change yeah. it all. Like he yeah. starts listening to her down in the rebel. Okay, great. Then he gets out and goes back down and keeps listening to her. And they had her, like, like I don't know, at the whole part of them working in code, like Marie, Lauren, Etienne. It wasn't that he they were doing it and he got taken away. It was that they decided to do it and he like tells her to start reading in code in different parts of the book. Yeah, because she's she's broadcasting every night. Yeah, yeah, and, he's telling and her that's what to not read, how it rather went. than like her cry for help. Yes, and so like those which I finished this book on Saturday and then I tried to watch it yesterday on Sunday and so it was really fresh like the ending was all really fresh and when they started yeah. it way and it just was completely wrong it made me mad <laughs> because yeah. that that was the whole thing is that like she didn't broadcast until it was the very critical moment when she right. and like and she knew Etienne was okay yes and like she's like I haven't seen you for a day yeah, um, I'm looking forward to breaking bread with you again. And then she goes to the bakery 
where they get their bread and he's there like I heard your message and I was like what like yeah no like what's happening he's taken away but she but now he's back to check on her. it it was very confusing to me and I think possibly if I had not read the book it would be an okay show it, I would have yeah. watched past episode one. I would have watched episode one, been like, okay, I don't really know what's going on here, but like, I want to find out more and see if they can tie it together a little better. But like, the fact that I know what it's supposed to be like, yes, to what it actually is, is just majorly disappointing to me. So I think I... like, if you are a fan of this book and you were really looking forward to the adaptation and you're like, no, I'm going to watch it, just like throw all your expectations out the window and do not expect it to be like the book and other than characters and setting yeah well and like another another thing so he it starts off with them getting blown up they're down in the rubble whatever then he gets out and he goes and scavenges things to make the radio work i'm like the entire point was that he made the radio work when he was down in there under the rubble yeah they're trapped in there yeah, yes, but, but now all of a sudden he's already the last one. Yeah, it's just not, because like, like the last person like dies within like twenty minutes of starting the show. It's, yeah, they it's, like I the feel like we're gonna die, and then there's like a bomb, and then now yes. all of a sudden he's alone again. Yeah, I don't like, even know if Volheimer is gonna be in the show. He's trapped in the rubble alone instead of them being trapped together. Yeah, it just. Things that There's sound little much. as I'm saying it, but it's like once you've read the book, it's so central to how it all ties together. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. And I said this in the pre-record, and I stand by it, is this book is beautifully written. Like you said, it's almost prose. Like, it's very mature. It's very intelligent. Very dense. And I'm watching the show, and maybe they're trying to appeal to a wider audience, but, like, just even just, like, the atmosphere and the look of it like visually juvenile it's just like not very sophisticated I'm picturing kind of like the vibe of the crown yes you know what I mean that was kind of like what I was imagining and then like you get I don't even know like what a good comparison it was just kind of like I don't know I was even, I was expecting like like I was going in with the mind because to me this is a an epic war novel. Yes. And so I was going in with the frame of like an epic war movie. Like yes. saving private Ryan. I can, yeah. Something yeah. really well done. Like that's what I mean by saying I wanted the A team. Like I wanted that level. Yeah. And it came in not like that at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Visually it's not it's too like dark, which I know they're trying to set the tone. But it's like it's it's like it's like Sweeney Todd dark. Like you know, not I, even that. It's like they try too hard to make it dark. That's it's what I mean. Just, like it's it's, it's un- too realistically. Dramatic. I don't know. They filmed it normally, and then they put like a black sheen over it to really hammer down that it was a dark and scary time. Yeah. And- but we know that from the setting, you could have just shot right. it in normal color. You know, like, it was the, yeah, the coloring. They tried to reinvent the book, and it 
it didn't need to be reinvented. No. They should not have messed with it. So it's like these types of like epic books that kind of make me nervous and you have an adaptation. Like, are they going to do it justice? And yeah. overwhelmingly, I feel like, I mean, it is a top Netflix show. I think it's that like, it was at like number two when I watched it. So I think it is getting a lot of, you know, views. I think a lot of people do like it, but I think a lot of the fans of the books of the book like have not liked it and that's when it's kind of getting all the negative reviews yes and so i'm on the wikipedia page and like reading about it and i guess there's one critic who said that by the third episode the plot barely resembled the novel which like um hello so i would just get like more mad as i watched by the first 25 minutes i knew it didn't resemble the plot so yeah you're like (laughs) and why did it need three episodes but then I mean, I agree. If you don't know the source material, you might like it, and you might yeah be okay. I wouldn't with say it, it would be but... bad. I yeah. think I would watch all four episodes. If I had watched episode one, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, what happens?" You know, like I'd be curious. But yeah, and then well, now okay. Spoiler alert for that! Like I know they changed the ending. That's what I was just about to say. So now I do want to know because I'm like, what they do? Because in Wikipedia it says with approval from Door. Levy removed potentially upsetting scenes late in the story for the adaptation, stating that he wanted the ending to feel more optimistic. Yes. So Werner so, doesn't outright die. So they basically the did a My Sister's Keeper on it, where they changed the yes. whole ending immediately. Well, and then they tried to justify it. They're like, they're like, well, we wanted to be more hopeful. Like, you don't know if they reunite. You don't know if he dies or who lives. It's literally like he gets taken away and promises he'll see her again. And then she's like, oh, but does it happen? <laughs> so he's like, so fans of the book could be like, okay, well, yeah, we know he dies, but like people who haven't watched it could have like a more hopeful outcome. I'm like, no, you gotta commit. You have to commit. Either I change like it the book or was don't. hopeful. Like, yeah, like it was never going to work out between the two of them. No, they were. It, it was, was just. It was. It was like kind of like shining the light on humanity. Yes, and it's like that was their whole purpose of their relationship. It's like the ships. It's like the person you meet that pulls you out of a, a place like physically or you know, actually yeah. in this case, but like. You know, it's the metaphorical person that you meet that changes your life that you never see again. Like, they were never as much as we wanted to. And, yeah, he had a crush on her, but they were never going to work out. We all know this. Right. Right. And it ended up the way that realistically it would have ended up. And you don't need to change that. The hopeful part was that she survived and thrived. Like We know that you love a realistic story here. (laughs) Yeah, like if I, yes, me the romantic, if I'm saying it was never going to work, this is perfect, don't change it. That's what I also struggle with. (laughs) With this adaptation is like, I'm a purist. I want things to be realistic. I want them to be the way they're supposed to be. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. So. Exactly. Zero stars from me. So that is, that's our rating based on one episode. (laughs) But that's really all you're going to get from me because I probably won't finish it. No, absolutely not. <laughs> There's a 1% chance I finish that series. Um, but we highly recommend the book. So yes. this is one where overwhelmingly we agree. 
the book is better than the movie. Yes. And uh, again, if you like history, you like historical fiction, World War II novels, this is definitely a good one. Yeah, I really recommend like I really like it and I would recommend it to anyone. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. There you have it. That wasn't as long as it could have been. We yeah, I'm kind of <laughs> impressed with that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's long compared to other ones, Happy but not editing. as long as it could we have been. We've been pretty good recently, I feel like. Yeah. We haven't had a long one in a while, and this one deserved it. You know, we can't yes. skimp, as we've seen from the adaptation. Yes. you got to stay true. So, let us know what you think about this book and this novel. If you – this book and this novel. <laughs> this book and this episode <laughs> – um, you can find us on Instagram at life and lit pod. You can send us an email at life and lit pod at gmail.com and you can give us a rating and review and follow us on whatever podcast platform that you listen to. We've got another book, one more book for November. It's crazy that it's already the end of November. I um, can't even think about it. And we're doing a complete 180. We've had some we <laughs> dense historical ones for the top two f- picks for the month. And then we're going to round it out with a fantasy, which I'm not usually on board with. But this was my pick. And I like it so I far. I was very so... surprised when you suggested that. I was like, all right, okay. I was influenced. I saw it. a girl post about it on social on Instagram and then it was on sale on ebook for $1.99. So I was like, you know what? Here it is. We're buying it. Um so yeah, I'm excited to dive into that. But until next time, have a great Thanksgiving because this will come out on Thanksgiving. So we hope you all have a great turkey day here if you're celebrating in America. And we will be back with one more book for November. So, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.